Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders, past and present of the Kulin Nation, and recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning and welcome to Monday Breakfast on 3CR with Lucy and Will, where we help you start your week with some current affairs, radical news interviews and a few tunes. Uh, this morning's show is a festival of festivals. We're talking everything cultural and artistic today to bring you a little joy in the middle of a seemingly endless winter uh, so, first up, Lucy's talking to Jonathan Holloway. And for those of you who don't know Jonathan, he is the Artistic Director of Melbourne Festival, a Yorkshire man but who knows a lot about Australia. He's coming to talk to us about um, some of the highlights from the festival the program launched last week, including the Cool and Tandarum, which we'll hear more about first up. And then uh, Jan Bartlett will be interviewing longtime human rights watchdog Jack Smith, and uh, she'll be getting his take on Dutton's new Homeland Security Super portfolio. Then we've got Jessica Clark. Jessica is the curator of Tell, which is an exhibition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, artists, photographers, as part of the Ballarat International Photo Biennale. And after which, after alternative news, we'll be dropping in on Mitu Balmik Longi uh, to hear about the Indian Film Festival of Melbourne's roster of films and the status of women's voices in Indian pop culture. The time right now is 7.02am and you're listening to 3CR Morning Monday Breakfast. It's an honour and a privilege to be joined by Jonathan Holloway, who is the Artistic Director of Melbourne Festival. Jonathan launched an incredibly exciting and ambitious program for the 2017 festival last week. Jonathan, welcome to Monday Breakfast. Good morning, Lucy. I've heard you refer to major festivals as a quasi-state of the nation. Yes. So this is your second year as Artistic Director of Melbourne Festival. What is the state of the nation in 2017? Yeah, it's not as good as it could be, uh, to be honest, but it's pretty amazing here in Melbourne. I mean, it's, I, th- I feel like we're living in a, a great city at a great time, but I think when I look out around the rest of the world, I do have this sense that uh, the narratives that we're all experiencing are being defined by singular actions and strange actions and uh, strange people and I sort of never wake up anymore n- turning on the news or reading a newspaper or looking at the, uh, at the web thinking uh, what amazing great thing has happened I think please what has happened now that's going to be deeply upsetting so um, really with the festival wanted to first of all remember the joy secondly remember what we're capable of as, uh, as, as a race, as a group of people, as people who 65,000 years ago were using tools at Kakadu and, and then 48 years ago were either putting a man on the moon or, or faking it really well. <laughs> and either of those things is fine by me, actually. I, I, I just think we've done amazing things. So a festival should be a celebration of everything that is possible rather than some of the terrible things that are actual. 
And I've heard you say we need to look to the artists to understand the world around us. Look to the artists, but also look to each other and, and, and as an audience and as uh, a city, embrace uh, stories and ideas and tales and actions of brilliant achievement. So uh, it's not just about sort of the, the, the artist in an ivory tower or refined high art. It's about work which allows us all to remember and tell and retell our stories of what it is to be alive right here, right now. There was a very moving welcome to country at the program launch. Honouring the original owners of our land is also integral to the opening of the festival, the Kulin Tandarum. Can you tell us a bit about how this event came together? I think it's been running for five years now. This will be the fifth. So it was the idea, well, the idea of my predecessor, Josephine Ridge, four years ago was to go to the five, uh, to the elders of the five clans of the Eastern Kulin Nation and say, what would you like to do in the festival? What would be, what would be your, your dream involvement? And together they, they thought long and hard and came back with the idea of a tandarum, which in uh, Kulin language means uh, ceremony and is the idea of the coming together of um, the five clans, although they'll, they'll often uh, talk about the fact there are now extended other groups who join that uh, uh, in a modern Melbourne. But um, the idea of six months of work that goes in within those communities who then come together and create a, a ceremony or a celebration of land and of place and of history. And we all get to attend, and so it, it operates as somewhat as a welcome to country, but it's far more than that. It's, it is a, cer a ceremony and a celebration of uh, Aboriginal experience and communities, and it's their chance to, in effect, have a corroboree to, to come together in one place. And so they're the first words that are spoken of the festival each year, and, and it's such a beautiful acknowledgement of where we're coming from. And, and then links perfectly to the final day of the festival and our place, our home, which is about the most uh, recently arrived and emerging communities. So you kind of bookend the festival with those who've been here the longest to some of our most, um, our newest Australians. Can yep. you tell us a bit about our place, our home? Yes, it's uh, an event. We, we work with Multicultural Arts Victoria and their team, and they guide us in terms of sort of a, pro a whole program called Igniting Imagination, which includes... Um, ambassadors from diverse communities. Uh, it includes events which bring in those communities and links with various communities around Victoria. But then that event is music, dance and cultural celebration and sharing ab about the communities who are the most recently arrived or the most recently emerging, many of whom have both their own incredibly complex, deep thought through and experienced cultures which are very old as well but they're here now and there's a whole bringing together of those cultures in a new space in a way that that uh, Victoria is rightly proud of in the same way as the, the at one end of the spectrum uh, encouraging self-determination and encouraging opportunities for the Aboriginal community is vital so is making sure that we have absolute pride in the diversity of who we are and my feeling is and it's I don't think it's new or original, that, that they're the borders of our land, really. Mm. The, the, it was 65,000 years plus, and um, six months, and today, today, people arriving today, how do we embrace communities and, and allow them to be part of this, this amazing 
place that we live. The program is big, um, and I just want to pull out a couple of highlights, starting with the season. It's about mutton burning. It, it, it is in, uh, Aboriginal. It's, it's uh, an Indigenous work, but it's, it's from Tasmania, mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's virtually international. And it's from, about from, mutton from burning. Sea, <laughs> <That's> really. <laughs> yeah, a, a small sea, but uh, <laughs> it's, um, it's about mutton burning and mutton burning families uh, just off the coast of, uh, just around Tasmania. And it's beautiful. It's very funny. Nathan Maynard, the playwright, is one of the funniest people I've met. And on the page, it's brilliant. And there's a humanity to it. Isaac Dandridge has directed it, so it's, uh, and the whole cast is Aboriginal. So it's a, a really owned work from a community about, about families, about people. It's, it's, uh, if you look at that, or if you look at Caravan, which comes out of actually the, 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 the Melbourne theatre scene, which is a, a, another work in the programme, they're, they're both about communities and how we live together and what we've experienced and the truth of what it is to be here today. Going from theatre to music, Requiem for Cambodia is another piece that was, a, to me, a standout in the programme. So Requiem for Cambodia came out of a conversation with Stephen Armstrong, uh, who was one of the artistic directors of Asia Topa. This was a work that people were talking about. It's, it, it came out of an idea that there's never been uh, a requiem for what happened in Cambodia for the killing fields and for the Khmer Rouge and the fall of Phnom Penh. And so Riti Pan, uh, who is an Oscar-nominated filmmaker, has made a beautiful film and a really moving film. And then him, Sophie, has made a soundtrack and score for orchestra and choir, large-scale work, which, together with ritualistic movements and performance, acknowledge and work through a lot of the the politics. And there's such a big Cambodian community Mm. here in Melbourne, but it's a work that will go off around the US who had a far closer direct relationship with uh, the the conflicts and the the situation in Cambodia around that time. And and then it will go off around the rest of the world. But it's an almost entirely Cambodian company and artistic team leading an idea that says a requiem can be... It can be an incredibly cathartic experience that allows people to both understand and work through their feelings. So it's one of the works. There are, there are many works in the festival that are, are light and joyous and, uh, and, and fun. This is a work that, that really matters. It really is important that we do this work at this time. So this is just the tiniest taste of the pro- It's an appetizer of the program. There's free events, there's dance, there's theatre, circus, music, talks. Um, we urge you to check out the program because I think you can pretty much guarantee that there's something for everyone in there. Um, it runs from the 4th to the 22nd of October, but tickets are on sale now, and I think there are some shows that are already selling really well. Yes. So I would say get on board. Um, we'll also have all the information up on our website, 3cr.org.au. Jonathan, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks, Lucy. The Independent and Peaceful Australia Network presents War, Peace and Independence, Keep Australia Out of US Wars. Amidst an escalating threat of another major war breaking out, this timely conference will be held in Melbourne from the 8th to the 10th of September. The conference will address the struggle against US bases, drone warfare, peace as union business, US political and military influence and much more. For details and bookings, head to ipan.org.au or go to the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network's Facebook page. A 3CR supporter.
The seventh annual Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair is on Saturday, August the 12th from 10am to 6pm. The Book Fair showcases more than 40 stalls and a program of workshops. It's a great opportunity to be introduced to new ideas, to challenge your thinking and to meet with like-minded folk. It's free and we also provide free childcare. At the Brunswick Town Hall on Saturday, August the 12th from 10am till 6pm. Find out more at www.amelbournebookfair.org or find us on Facebook, the Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair. The Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair is a 3CR supporter. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. CR Breakfast would like to say thanks to program sponsor The New International Bookshop for the financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall at 54 Victoria stop. Street, Carlton. Stop. 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 And that was Don't Vandalise My Van by The First Chances and Crew. Quite a fun song to start off your morning today. You're listening to Monday Breakfast on 3CR AM. Uh, 3CR, 855am, or you're listening to us online. Uh, the time right now is 7.18, and it's currently 7.4 degrees. Um, we're expecting a top of 15, partly cloudy, so uh, rug up. Uh, next up, uh, we're going to be listening to a quick interview um, brought to us by the folks from Tuesday Home Time, uh, interviewing... Jack Smith, uh, the most significant reform to intelligence and security arrangements in more than 40 years, the creation of a new super portfolio, the Home Affairs Ministry has occurred. And uh, some are asking, where is the outrage? It seems to have disappeared, especially within the Liberal Party, where very senior ministers have in the past publicly expressed opposition to the idea. Uh, so we have Tuesday's Home Times Jan Bartlett, um, catching up with Jack Smith, long-time human rights watchdog from Project Safecom, on why this is. Let's just unpack it from the start, because Peter Dutton, one of the most senior ministers to be in the Turnbull government, let's not forget that Peter Dutton is the old ally of Tony Abbott. So this is the conservative branch of the Liberal Party, the extreme conservative branch, against Turnbull and so Turnbull is on an appeasing mission and the appeasing mission includes uh, giving Dutton everything he wants and what hardly anybody knows it has been reported by the way in the Fairfax papers when Turnbull became the Prime Minister it has been reported that there is a signed agreement within cabinet it was a signed agreement between Turnbull and the Nationals so Turnbull and Barnaby Joyce, that during his entire period of prime ministership, 
he would not touch or change the asylum seeker policy in place. And that has been reported, but no reporter, no journalist around the country remembers it. But it was reported on at the time. That's the core issue at stake here. We will be as strict to these illegal invaders who came by boat. We will keep blaming Labour for being weak on border protection, because the only thing that works, and it's in effect that division, that rhetoric was created during Ruddock and Howard, and the Liberals desperately maintain that to create a point of difference and so they can keep blaming Labour for being weak on border protection. That is the political agenda, and Turnbull signed off that he would not ever, ever change it. So the Turnbull, the moderate, has been well and truly completely hung from the gallows. There is no head on this man. He's been chopped off at the guillotine. Turnbull is a completely powerless puppet on this policy issue. So there we go. Turnbull offers this. He's had a little conversation with Theresa May about the Home Office in in the UK, and suddenly, without anyone recommending this, we have this super ministry. Now, I'm a bit with Bruce Haig, the former diplomat and good, well-known refugee advocate, who said, okay, how soon from now will GetUp become a proscribed organization? You know, the Liberals, including Turnbull, despise the power that civil organizations like GetUp have. It is because of these activist organizations that they're going to lose elections. And even more so, GetUp has declared quite openly they're targeting Peter Dutton from now until the next election. They did quite a bit of it during the last election campaign, so that Dutton is a really marginal seat holder at the moment who almost got kicked out at the last election. The most obvious next step, according to Bruce Haig, is that Dutton will try to taint GetUp as having received funds from people connected to terrorism. There will be a raid on GetUp, and GetUp will become a proscribed organization. This is what happens when you have a fanatic, extremo-conservative minister like Dutton with enormous powers. And by the way, news articles have appeared over the last week that the new super ministry, if need be, will investigate itself for corruption. So that it happens internally. It doesn't happen in public inquiries. That will happen during secret inquiries. We will never know how corrupt or where corrupt or what the corruption was within that ministry. It is a completely self-governing super-ministry. Dutton will become the most powerful ogre or monster who will target anyone who in his world or a little plod from Queensland that he really is, Mr. Potato Head, anything standing in the way will be declared illegal or um, connected to terrorism, ultimately will be prescribed. That's the nightmarish situation we're looking at. And of course, we know what Dutton is like. Whenever something happens, he will blame Labour, he will blame the Greens, and I wouldn't be surprised that first he's also going to taint 
little political groups on the left, like the Socialist Alliance, as being connected to terrorism. And ultimately, his secret, vile wish is to proscribe the Greens as well, to taint the Greens as being connected to terrorists and socialists, extremo activists, as those who are lined with get-up. There's a prospect. Dissension within the Liberal Party, though, for this move? Well, there was dissension, but it seemed to have melted away within a day. We know that Julie Bishop is on the record of being dead against this super-ministry. We know that Christopher Pine objected to it. We know that um, Michael Keenan, Minister for Justice, was opposed to it. So the senior ministers in the Turnbull government have expressed that they are absolutely not wanting this, and yes, it happened, without so much as a peep. Well, as some of those ministers have lost their power, haven't they? They've become gutless. I mean, if they would have had any guts, they would have created a hell and fury during last week's cabinet meeting. But they didn't, because they are wanting unity in this political party, which is not exactly um, exploding with unity at all, as we know. They've become gutless puppets. These days, the new thing in world politics is we put the idiots in charge. And that's the blunt end of it. We put the idiots in charge, like in Donald Trump. We make idiot decisions, as in Brexit. And David Cameron, you know, with a whistle, whistling a song, walks in and out of um, 10 Downing Street and then resigns. I mean, it, the Conservatives have made an absolute schmuzzle of governing a country anywhere around the world. And uh, Australia's following suit. First, we had a Donald Trump in, uh, in Tony Abbott, and he got kicked out by Turnbull, the moderate. Well, another idiot in charge, Peter Dutton. That's the new idiocy of politics. We cannot find a way out into decency. Certainly, we don't want decency, because that's what lefties do. We want um, to find a solution, so we put the conservative idiots in charge. And there you go, uh, Jack Smith, long-time human rights watchdog there, uh, and he was uh, talking with some analysis of the potential impact of the most significant reform to intelligence and security agents arrangements in more than 40 years, the creation of a super portfolio, Home Affairs. We'll hear more from Jack on the issue next week. Um, follow Jack Smith and Safecom on safecom.org.au or on Twitter under the handle at psoffice. Um, Tuesday Home Times Dan Bartley can be heard on 3CR Tuesdays from 4pm. You are listening to 3CR 855 on your AM dial and 3cr.org.au if listening online is more your thing. It is currently 7.27am and it's, listen, I've got a new weather app which is very specific. So right here in Fitzroy it is 7.3 degrees. So I'm thinking it's a couple of degrees around that wherever you are. It's going to get up to 15, mostly sunny, which for this time of year is positively tropical. Um, This is coming up Melbourne's own Imagine with Walking Around from the new album and a bit of a language warning here so block your ears if you find profanity offensive. What the fuck was I thinking? Thanks to 
everyone who participated in our listener survey earlier this year. You provided us with some great insight into what you really love about 3CR and what we could do better. We'll be working towards improving our on-air programming and look forward to your continued involvement. Remember, you can give feedback to the station anytime via our website, Facebook page, or by calling the station and leaving us a message. Thanks for listening. Tune in to Completada Bailable. Wednesday, July 12, 6.30 p.m. Let's spice it up in Spanish with a little bit of English. Join the feast. The ingredients for our completos are... Analysis. Arts and culture. Poetry. And music. Remember, Wednesday, 12th of July, 6.30 p.m. Tune in. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday... Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3CR.org. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. joined by Jessica Clark, who is the curator of TEL. TEL is an exhibition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists, and it's part of the 2017 Ballarat International Photo Biennale. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So you are a curator. What does that process involve? You, you look for the, the artworks for the exhibition? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a Palawa curator, um, and researching for the artists for the exhibition. I sought out through my colleagues and the artists that I already knew, um, as well as galleries. So there's a, obviously an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander aspect to the works that you've picked? Yeah, yep. This is the Indigenous Photographic Exhibition for the Ballarat International Photo Biennale. Um, so all of the works are by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists from different places across Australia. And you've named the exhibition Tell. Why? The exhibition is about story, so I chose the title to reflect that, as that is the the theme that runs through all of the works and connects them in the exhibition. So, can you give us an example of of how the storytelling comes out in in the photographs? So, all of the artists use photography in different ways to tell their stories of self, of culture, of history, and their identity. 
Um, so the exhibition really shows the breadth of um, photographic practice in contemporary art now and how Indigenous artists are using these new technologies to tell their stories and articulate their experience. What are some of the new technologies you're talking about? Uh, in the exhibition, we have holograms, we have video works, um, we have multimedia installations uh, and a variety of photographic formats showcased throughout the exhibition as well. The line just cut out for a moment, but I'm pretty sure you just said hologram. Yes, holograms. We have a hologram by an artist, uh, Jodie Haynes. She's a local artist in Footscray in Melbourne who's created a hologram as well as a suite of um, portrait photographs. And do you have any, I mean, you probably can't, it's like saying which is your favourite child, but do you have any um, pieces that really um, resonated with you in the exhibition? So many of these um, works have resonated with me. It's hard to pick one. Um, one of the uh, works um, which I would love to mention is by James Tyler, who's a Noongar South Australian Aboriginal artist who's done a collaborative project with uh, Laura Wills. So he has done um, a series of landscape photographs being altered by a series of map markings that Laura Wills overlaid over the top of the photographs. And the map markings are derived from um, front documents of the frontier wars that documented the colonisation of Australia. So it's a really important project, having an Indigenous artist and a non-Indigenous artist working together. Yeah, it just sounds wonderful. And obviously with the release recently of of the maps, it sounds like it's a really special piece to see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the project aims to find a way to decolonise the telling of stories about the frontier wars um, in contemporary Australia and challenge the national narratives. So as well as James Tyler and Laura Will's piece, what who else is exhibiting? And can you tell us a bit about their work? Uh, yeah, we, we have uh, a new series of work by the Picture Making Fellows. They're a group of Aboriginal men um, living and working out in Ballarat. So they're local to the Ballarat community and they come together weekly to yarn um, and share stories and make art. They're ex- experimenting with photography for the first time um, in this exhibition and they've created three beautiful were photographic works that are overlaid with their iconic stencil style. Bindi Cold Chockers created a new photographic series titled Fertility, um, where she speaks to the external influences that um, shape who we are. Uh, her works feature imagery of her Wadawurrung country um, that is superimposed with cut-out imagery of her son um, that um, tells a deeply personal narrative about her story and her personal history. So as a curator, what what do you hope people will take away from the exhibition? Um, I hope people enjoy and engage with the works in the exhibition. It's so important for these stories to be told and understood. And it's so important for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists to have an international platform like the Biennale to be able to have the, their voices heard. So I hope visitors embrace that opportunity to learn a bit more about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander art and culture and take away a new appreciation for photography in its diversity. Because the, the Biennale is a huge platform to be exhibited in. I think there's there's 100 exhibitions in 30 days and I'm sure you're getting yeah. um, guests coming from all around the world to, to see the artwork that's being shown. 
Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. So for people who want to check out some of the pieces um, that, are, that are Intel, where, where is the exhibition? How can they see the works? It's at the Ballarat uh, Historic Mining Exchange, um, which is near the Ballarat Art Gallery. Um, it's a heritage-listed building, which was refurbished in 2004. Um, it's now used to um, display a beautiful exhibition. So it's, a, it's the largest space in the Biennale that an exhibition is going to be held in. Which says something and, uh, about your exhibition, obviously. Um, yeah, absolutely. And you, I think you open on the 19th of August, is that right? Yep, it opens on the 19th of August and runs through the 17th of September. Um, and the opening is on the 19th at 7.30pm. And anyone can come to the opening? Anyone can come to the opening. Yeah, fantastic. So we'll put all of the details about when the exhibition is on and when the opening night's on on our website, 3cr.org.au. Um, but Jessica, thank you so much for, for speaking to us this morning. Thanks so much for having me. I hope to see you at the opening. Fantastic interview there. And uh, now we're going to move on to some community announcements. Uh, we're going to try to do these every week, just uh, give you folks... Um, a bit of a heads up on what's coming in the uh, the next few weeks and across in the next month as well. So make sure you have your pens out. Um, so uh, we've got a, an event called Protecting Country from Adani. First Peoples Speak Out. Um, so it's a community event and it's um, just run on the imperative that people need to take a stand against Labor's support for the Adani coal mine uh, and that our brothers and sisters from the Wangan and Jagalingu people need our support. There will be speakers at this event. Speakers will include um, Aboriginal acti- environmental activists living in Darabin, Lydia Thorpe, Gunai Gundichamara um, is organising. Uh, so it's, a, it's an Indigenous-led, Indigenous-run event against the Adani coal mine. It's running Friday the 4th of August, so that's Friday the 4th of August from 4pm, uh, and uh, folks will be meeting outside of David Feeney's um, offices on 159 High Street in Preston. Also this Friday, the 4th of August, we have a 3CR fundraiser for Sweet Dreams, the Sweet Dreams program on 3CR. This is to help raise funds for Radiothon, which is really what keeps us on the air, is your donations. So the fundraiser is being held at the Tote um, here in Collingwood. At 8pm this Friday, there is Wet Kiss playing, Fia Fiel, Papaphilia, Swallow and Tomb Raver. Um, it's at the Tote, again upstairs at 8pm, and it's $10 entry. There's also an event happening with our friends at the New International Bookshop. Uh, you may remember last week I was speaking to um, Emeritus Professor Jane Kenway from Monash University. We were talking about education, um, and so that um, there's still time to... Uh, book yourself in, well you don't have to book yourself in, but to um, pencil into your diary at least, um, educating the haves and have-nots in Australia, what makes a difference. Uh, so that's part of the left Q&A series of panel discussions that happen at the New International Bookshop. Uh, this panel in, uh, it, discussion is happening on Thursday, August the 3rd from 7pm. Entry is $5 and that's at the Trades Hall on 54 Victoria Street in Carlton. Speakers include Jane Kenway, Mari Brennan, Lou Zippin and Green Senator Janet Rice. 
Also this week we have an event um, being put on by the International Cooperation and Disarmament um, Group who are holding a Remember Hiroshima and Nagasaki exhibition. That's on Sunday, this coming Sunday, the 6th of August at 2pm at the Melbourne Unitarian Peace Memorial Church, which is on Grey Street in East Melbourne. And uh, also we did a quick announcement about this before, but it's worth going over again. Uh, the Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair is coming up. That's Saturday the 12th of August um, from 10am to 6pm, happening in Brunswick Town Hall, 233 Sydney Road, Brunswick. Um, so I'll say that again. It's 12th of August from 10am to 6pm, and the book fair sees thousands of people every year joining 40-plus vendors, so it's not a small thing, quite a lot of people, and you'll find books on all sorts of things from land rights and colonialism, sexism and gender, uh, uh, books on anarchism, indigenous sovereignty, feminism, uh, sexual assault and workplace struggles. And so if you, you want to fill your head with good things, go to the, uh, the Anarchist Book Fair. And finally, this Saturday, RISE, which is the refugee survivor and ex-detainee group, um, RISE is holding a picnic to get supplies for their food bank. So RISE have a food bank, they're running low on supplies, and they're holding a picnic on Saturday in uh, Carlton Gardens. Um, at 12 o'clock on Saturday. Um, so they want you to come, bring some food to have at the picnic, but also bring some supplies to add to their food bank. Um, if you want more information, you can actually go to the RISE website, riserefugee.org, and we'll also put some information up on our website. But that, again, is this Saturday at 12 p.m. at Carlton Gardens. All righty, folks. I hope you managed to get that all down. We'll be um, popping some more of the details on our website just so you... Um uh, are able to take those down if you weren't able to write fast enough. Um, and uh, right now we're going to head into a track. You are listening to Monday Breakfast here on 3CR. Hi, I'm Kim Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe, the number is 94198377. Hello, it's Fiona Scott-Norman here, and I would just like to say congratulations. You are doing something very important right now. Do you want to know what it is? You are listening to 3CR, Melbourne's most diverse and fascinating community radio station. And you know why it's important? Because diversity is important. Community is important. Community radio is very, very important. And you are a winner. Do you need assistance with daily tasks? Do your parents or grandparents? 
Australian Multicultural Community Services is a not-for-profit organisation providing help at home to seniors and their carers in Melbourne and Greater Geelong. Daily tasks like dressing, vacuuming, shopping or gardening can be difficult for seniors. Australian Multicultural Community Services support all eligible seniors with home care and personal care so that they remain independent while living at home. Get your loved ones the care they need. Call 9689 9170 to find out more. That's 9689 9170. A 3CR supporter. As Prime Minister of Australia, I am sorry. Coming live to you from the Aboriginal Ten Embassy in Canberra as part of the Sorry Day Convergence. And here comes Gilla. How you going, Gilla? How's it going, Gab? How's it going, uh, all you listeners down Melbourne? And you're missing a great time up here and uh, a great day. Subscribe to your award-winning independent community radio station bringing you coverage of community issues and events. We need your support. Call 9 419 8377 and subscribe today. We can't face the future now until we face the sorrow. I feel hopeful. I feel grateful. I feel sorry. As an Aboriginal person, let me shake your hand. Thanks very much for being here today. Thank you very much. No worries. VCR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Estás sintonizando 3CR 855 de tu AM. صدای ما را از رادیو 3CR 855 AM trên làn sóng AM 855 kính mời quý vị đón nghe. Watai我还没给你说你想玩啥的，还加了一个哈，A3CR，Mojudisas，The Call the station on 94198377. The number is again 94198377. And you are listening to Monday Breakfast on 3CR 855am, uh, either on your AM dial or digitally. Uh, so at the top of that bracket there, we had the song Les Temps de la Dimanche by the Zen Circus and Bryant Rich. And after a couple of community service announcements, we also heard a very 
uh, shall we say, invigorating track from a uh, sub uh, called Subhumans by Society. We'll have the uh, the full track listing on our website, of course, so you can look up these songs if anything struck you as something you particularly wanted to hear. Um, we're coming up to eight o'clock now. It's actually seven fifty nine and forty six seconds, but that'll do because uh, we're going to le- launch into our favourite segment now. Um, uh, so you, you know what time it is. Some folks know about it, some don't. Some will learn to shout it, some won't. But sooner or later, baby, here's a ditty. Say you're gonna have to get right down to the real nitty-gritty. Let's get right down to the real nitty-gritty now. One, two, nitty-gritty now, yeah, boom. Nitty-gritty, who? Alternative News is our critical analysis of the news cycle using alternative sources. Every weekday at 8am, we'll be covering the stories you aren't hearing about in the mainstream media. Um, so, first of all, I think we should turn our gaze to the uh, the story about the uh, the raids that have happened in Sydney um, concerning a couple of people who have um, uh, allegedly organised to uh, improvise some explosives or put together some explosives and um, uh, detonate them in a plane. At least this is according to the Herald Sun. Um, their, their headline on the front page for this Monday morning is Sky High Evil, and they emphasise that it's father-son teams who are planned to bomb flight using kitchen minces. Um, so to sort of hold up two different examples of how this story is being covered, of course I just mentioned the Herald Sun, but we do also have uh, over here... An article from The Guardian, which is another mainstream source, but it's a, it's a, it's a source that receives a bit less attention here in Australia. And so I think it's worth going over their difference in focus. In The Guardian, the focus is very much on what this siege, uh, not siege, what this raid, uh, represents in Australian society. So, um, the, The Guardian, uh, 
tells us, first of all, that the, you know, the federal police um, said Saturday raids across four Sydney suburbs foiled a plot to use an improvised explosive device to bring down a plane. They said that the threat was credible and elaborate. Uh, and the headline, however, represents a shift in the story that happens later on, um, that Sydney terrorism raids show police prepared to make preemptive strikes. This is a this is a, a factor that seems to be um, overlooked a little bit in the Herald Sun uh, Herald Sun article. It does mention that, um, uh, according to New South Wales Police Commissioner Mick Fuller, with terrorism you can't wait. You can't wait to put the whole puzzle together. You do have to go early because if you get it wrong, the consequences are severe. Uh, there's another paragraph, which is a further quote from Mick Fuller, which I won't read out, um, not to bore you. But the the emphasis across these two articles, one is talking about the terrorism raids couched in a uh, willingness of the police to act before they have all of the information they need, and the other, which focuses actually on the, the fact that it happened in a, a suburb which is known to police and that has... Um, according to the Herald Sun, uh, become all too familiar with heavily armed police and doesn't actually play up very much the, the fact that the, the police didn't know everything that they needed to know before they went in. Um, and so I'm, I'm not going to make any conclusions for you, but one focuses on the, um, the, the culture in policing uh, that this raid represents, and the other focuses... Not at all on that, but instead on um, the fact that these this suburb has seen police action before, and so difference between the Herald Sun and the Guardian. We've got a lot to learn by comparing these stories. Obviously, that is the top story for this morning. It's also covered in the Oz and in the AFR, the front page of the Australian. It actually spends a surprising amount of time talking about the issues that you might have travelling, which I guess mm. appeals to an, an Oz audience who um, usually you know, commute quite regularly between Sydney and Melbourne for yeah, work. Yeah, readers of the Australian definitely <laughs> would. Yeah. So... Um, which I think is, is fair, I think, for travellers to be warned. Um, I think they've added an extra hour for both uh, international and domestic, so it's three hours at the airport if you're flying internationally, two hours if you're flying domestic, um, which, you know, I wonder if that's going to cause some havoc at the airports. But um, the Australian headline was Terracell planned gas attack, which is quite straightforward, um, isn't... Um, like the Herald Sun, I think, you know, fear, fear-mongering. Um, was it Evil in the Sky was the Herald Sun? Sky High Evil. Sky High Evil. Yeah. Um, and then it was page three of the AFR this morning and quite similar coverage to the Australian front page. Um, straightforward news reporting about um, what's actually happened and what the impacts are going to be to, um, to travellers. Indeed. We've got the front page of the Australian is looking at um, the tax changes to all the proposed tax changes to trust put forward by Labor, um, and how that actually is going to uh, import on sorry impact on small business. So um, there's some um, opinion on page 34 of the Fin, the Financial Review, that talks about how um, the um, alleging that um, Bill Shorten and Chris Bowen are dressing up um, a clean-up of the tax system um, in the close of an equality agenda, equality in inverted commas. So what they're really saying is they're trying to get the vote of people who see a two-class system in Australia by putting forward these um, tax changes to trust but without 
um, really making the changes that need to be made to change the, I guess, the tax system. And I think what's, you know, people where people are really struggling is, is housing. And I think people are seeing this as trying to, or they're trying to present this as, as a redress of that issue. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah, that's, I'm not going to speculate. It's, um, it's just a proposal at this stage. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll move on to sort of other alternative news sources. I'm looking at the New Matilda. Um, of course, New Matilda tends to offer a lot more comment than it does um, sort of minute-to-minute news. And so you can understand there's always going to be a difference between uh, the news that you see in things like The Guardian and The Herald Sun compared to the New Matilda or um, Green Left Weekly. Uh, but looking at the, the Matilda, firstly, it's, you know, it's fantastic that we've got a, a very well-researched um, very solid um, media outlet that has a you know a permanent and prominent um, display of Aboriginal affairs news. Um, so reading through that, there was a there's a um, a, a piece by Dr. Lissa Johnson uh, entitled "Best Intentions: How We Slaughter the Aboriginal Race," and it's talking about the um, the the death of Elijah Doughty um, and um, the uh, the very minimal sentencing or the the smaller sentencing that was given to um to the person who was involved in Elijah Doughty's death and um and the outcry that was um that uh resulted from that now some of you may remember there was a uh, quite a big um showing at the oh i've forgotten the name of the um the the protest that Justice happened on for, Friday. Justice for Elijah. Justice for Elijah, thank you. Um, and that was a very well attended. We had folks from the, the Warriors of the Aboriginal, Aboriginal Resistance there um, and a couple of other um, activism groups that, um, that tend to uh, turn up at those events. And so you've got the, um, you've got the new Matilda. While it, um, they do talk about rallies held in major cities across towns and across Australia throughout the week and over the weekend, so they don't necessarily go in-depth into the event that happened here in Melbourne. And indeed, why should they? Because it's an Australia-wide issue, violence against Indigenous people and um, the devaluing of their deaths. Um, but uh, looking, through, looking through the Herald Sun, you're not seeing anything on that. And it sort of makes you wonder um, where their focus is, is and where it should go. There's also another alternative news source that we often refer to as The Conversation. And there's a great piece that was published today on ice deaths. And I guess the the key thing that stands out to me in the first paragraph is that they refer to um, methamphetamine, or as we collectively refer to it as ice, as a major public health problem um, and that the health is the major um, focus of the article <clears throat> rather than it being a criminal issue and what we can do to punish people who are, who are using ice. Uh, and I think that's just about all, t- all the time we have for alternative news, um, but... Uh I hope uh, as as time goes on, we'll uh, develop this segment a bit and uh, bring you more focused commentary. But right now, we are on the line with uh, Mitu Bamik Longi, who is the director of production and distribution company Mind Blowing Films, as well as the founder and director of the Indian Film Festival of Melbourne. And we're going to talk, have a chat about the uh, about the festival. Welcome to Monday Breakfast, Mitu. Uh, thank you so much, and a good morning to you too. Good morning. I hope you're um, I hope you're feeling well this morning. Um, so I may, I'm, I'm just going to la- launch straight in because we've got so much to talk about. Um, so this year, the Indian Film Festival of Melbourne is turning seven, um, which is yes. you know it's 
basically an institution at this point. And the <laughs> roster of films is huge. Um, we've got, I've read more than 60 films in 20 languages from all over the subcontinent. And so they're not just films from, um, India as well. So how did you and your, uh, your team manage to curate all these films? Um, pretty much we don't sleep. And we all have a great love for cinema. So we all end up, uh, me and my team, we end up watching everything and anything that anyone sends us, you know, which is very good because that's how we come across some really amazing films as well. And we have a really strong curator in India who keeps um, suggesting films to us, um, who is who actually picks up some very difficult films to watch. Uh, but I'm glad she does because I think that's what um, a festival should do uh, because, um, uh, you know, everyone still, a lot of people still have this preconception that Indian films is all Bollywood and it's all song and dance and merry. So while we do have those escapist films as well, the good old Bollywood films, we also have um, some very hard-hitting, dark uh, films that we are screening at the festival, um, but films that are important to, because they make you think and question. And um, and uh, so I'm very excited and uh, to present our full festival, all the 60 films. Um, we have various languages. We have lots of events, master classes, Q&As, our short film competitions. So pretty much something for everyone. And indeed, uh, a lot of our listeners are uh, will be Marathi speakers and Hindi speakers, and we've got uh, quite a strong uh, Tamil community who form around um, 3CR, and they'll be very excited to hear um, that there are a lot of films in their languages coming out. But for the rest of us who don't um, uh, or haven't taken the time to learn um, any of the languages from the subcontinent <laughs> apart from English, uh, what uh, can we can we be assured that a lot of the films will be subtitled or some of them? All the films are subtitled. Beautiful. In our festival, all the films are subtitled. So if you come to the festival, I mean, you can be re- completely assured that they will be subtitled. We do have a silent short film. Uh, that's probably the only one that's not <laughs> subtitled, but that's like the first uh, silent gay love story, um, so, uh, which has come out of India. So I'm very excited to see the response um, to that film. Um, we, the, as you know, the theme for the festival this year is diversity. Mm. So we have been very conscious of that and um, tried to bring in as many different voices as we can. Our opening night film, which is um, the very controversial lipstick under my burqa, that was banned by the uh, Indian Censor Board for almost six months. And there was a long battle pretty much a battle that happened um, and after that uh, they very begrudgingly allowed the film to open. That's our opening night film and it's the complete uncensored version. So, um, I'm, I'm, and, uh, and it's a beautiful film about four women and their desires and their sexual desires, which is very interesting because that's something very few Indian films uh, tap into. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that you brought up the um the the movie Lipstick Under My Burka. Um, so the yeah the the I read the ruling by the Central Board of Film Certification, <laughs> and uh, they they said that it was the story is lady oriented, their fantasy above life. Uh, there are continuous sexual scenes and abusive words, audio pornography, and a bit sensitive touch about one particular section of society. And I had a bit of difficulty passing what exactly they mean. What what could someone find objectionable in this film? Nobody knows what they have written. First and foremost, censorship in this day and age of Internet is 
very debatable. It's a worldwide debate. Um, and the thing is, there should be consumer advice and censorship in the sense that people should know what they should uh, they can expect, especially if you have children and so on. But the right to watch what you want to watch should be ours, especially in a democracy like India. So I do not understand this uh, dictatorial thing of completely banning a film just because some medieval men are sitting in the boat who find it very difficult and this is completely out of their comfort zone, you know. And the whole thing is it's about four women. Um, one of them is a bit elderly. And so because she is, you know, in her elderly and she's a widow, so she has completely, nobody even looks at her as somebody who could have any sexual desire. And then she starts having uh, this crush on a really young boy, which is actually very sweet and funny. And her sexual longing is very endearing and you actually worry for her because you know that this is going to end up badly. What is wrong with that? You know? What is Absolutely, and these are stories know, that simply I, I, don't get told. Um, even in, in, in our, in, uh, when I say our, I mean Western film industry, um, the, the sexuality of older women gets ignored, and it's, not, um, it's something that's suppressed or it's joked about. And, uh, yes, exactly, exactly. And that's why, I'm, that's why we were very keen to have this as an opening night film. I know that a lot of people will struggle to watch it, but it's actually... I mean, I, once again, what is wrong with that? <laughs> what does I mean that it should be banned or people should shun it or people should not watch it, you know? So, and it's these four girls. One of them loves to have sex, but she's forced to get into an arranged marriage and how she acts out. It's all very real. And if people can't deal with it, too bad. But it's all very real. Indeed. Yeah. Um, so earlier you, you told us that the, um, the Indian Film Festival of Melbourne has set diversity as its theme. And, you know, you hear that word thrown around a lot and it doesn't seem to mean a lot to a lot of large corporations. But what does it mean for the IFFM? You know, I completely agree with you. Now it has become a very uh, fashionable word, so to speak. Um, but for us, Right from the start, diversity and inclusion have been the two key principles that not only me, the whole team, when we are looking for films, we look for films that are, that have, that are about everybody who might, may not be in the mainstream, just like our opening night film, which is which is in some ways about gender inequality, which deals with age, which deals with uh, uh, multiple race. Um, then we have films, a lot of films on LGBTQI. We have films on transgender. We have this beautiful film called Chronicles of Hari, which is about this um, uh, transgender man who's a, uh, who's a beautiful artist. And while he's revered and... Um, adored as an artist and a dancer, he's also shunned because he's a transgender and he's very confused himself, you know, so, um, and it's about his, his, uh, the confusions and the um, kind of social outcasts that he becomes in India. So we've got lots of films that deal with various issues, various various differences that all make us unique and wonderful. So those are the kind of stories that we have very intentionally picked and curated and programmed in our festival. And that's fantastic that you are bringing such a, such a wide range and really a more representative, uh, representative selection of what Indian film is really about because, of course, there are a lot of people who will be excited to go watch the... Uh, the the large Bollywood productions. Um, I've, I've got a couple of friends who are pretty psyched about watching Bahubali 2, for example. Yes, on IMAX. 
on IMAX, which which is going to be amazing because um, um, uh, that was a, a very small section of the films were released on IMAX. So we were very lucky that we were able to get that IMAX version for our festival. So that's going to be larger than life. And we love Bollywood. I mean, I... There is not a single film that I don't watch first day, first show, because I love my song and dance. And we have heaps of those, because that's very integral to who we are. We love to sing and dance. So um, that we have that. But at the same time, we have a lot of the new voices, a lot of these critical films um, that are coming out of um, India. We have some very, very dark films. I, I thought I needed counseling after I watched those films. But we have, like, the, uh, this film called Anatomy of violence made by celebrated director Deepa Mehta, which um, kind of deals with the mindset and background of the six rapists of the, of the horrible, gruesome uh, 2012 December rape of gang rape of the young girl in the past. And the whole thing is the premise of, the, and it's a very brave and difficult film to watch because it's all about people don't become who they are in isolation. And, and it's about how what happened to them and how they became the animals that they are and what part does society play in it. So these are very difficult films to watch, but I think they should be watched so that we all can take some responsibility. Absolutely. Uh, so the the Indian Film Festival of uh, Melbourne, obviously, by the name of the film festival, we know that there are going to be a lot of great films to watch, but you're also organising a couple of masterclasses and uh, public speaking events. Can you tell us about uh, some of your favourites? It might be difficult for you to choose, but uh, what should people make <laughs> sure to get in for? So on 13th of August at the Deacon Edge in Federation Square, we've got back-to-back masterclasses and in-conversations with some of the best names in the industry, right from Vikram Fatness, who was a designer who's doing Catwalk to Cinema, followed by uh, the producer of uh, Bahubali 1 and 2 about how what it is to mount a film in this scale, because Bahubali is becoming like the Star Wars of India, the way it's mounted, the franchise, the mm. planning. Um so uh, he's going to talk about that. Then we have one of the most popular and loved filmmakers, Karan Johar, who's going to talk about what it is to make this big, big Bollywood bonanza and how to mount that. We've got other directors who are talking about their craft. Similarly, throughout the fest- festival, barring a couple of days, we have Q&As almost every day uh, with uh, filmmakers after their films. So there's a lot going on and I hope people are going to keep a fair bit of time for our festival um, and enjoy everything that we are bringing for them. Absolutely and I've also read that the film festival is organizing an event for India Independence Day and you've got a special guest. Yes so we've got um, um, Ashwarya Rai who's probably the most global face that Indian cinemas had uh, who's Who's the UN ambassador? Who's the uh, who's um, the brand ambassador for L'Oreal? And she's got a huge and amazing body of work as well. And she's also acted in a lot of um, international films. So we were very lucky that for the 70th year of Indian independence, we've had Ashwarya Rai to come, and she will also be uh, the first Indian woman to hoist the Indian flag at Federation Square. So it'll be a very proud moment of for all of us, and a really a true reflection of what Melbourne is and how multicultural it is and how diverse we are, and yet we celebrate that. Beautiful. So uh, so the festival runs from the 10th of August, I believe. Is that right? 
Yes, that's yes. right. From 10 to 22nd. Fantastic. And how can people follow the festival? So we have a festival page, a website called iffm.com.au. Everything is there. Even when we breathe, we put that out there. <laughs> Everything is there. Yeah. Uh, we have an app, which is IFFM app, which can be downloaded. We've got updates, reminders, if there's any special discount, giveaways. Everything is there as well. We have a Facebook page, which is um, Indian Film Festival of Melbourne. We are, they can follow us on Twitter. We are on Instagram. We are on pretty much everything that I don't even know exists. Uh, but my team keeps adding us there so but we are everywhere so all you have to do is just search for indian film festival of melbourne and you'll find us beautiful well uh thank you so much for coming on the air today uh we just i could talk to you all day about films but i'm just (laughs) um yeah again thank you for coming on and everyone will get all the details on our on our page thank you so much thank you for having me and i hope to see you at the festival oh you definitely will you. Uh, you are listening to Monday Breakfast here with uh, with Will and Lucy, and uh, we're um, going to be listening to a couple of community announcements, and then we'll move into something a bit special, so uh, stay listening. Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? Coming at you on community radio stations around Australia, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne. Services will be cut, jobs may well be lost, and workers' entitlements will be undermined. Their basic human rights are as important as everyone else. Over 200 million years, individual species have evolved. I mean, birds were once dinosaurs. Anything nasty online seems to be targeted against women. Muckety is a bad deal, but muckety is absolutely not a done deal. You're listening to Women on the Line. Welcome again to Lost in Science. And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Accent of Women. Anarchist Wall this week. Listen to Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. You are listening to Let the Bands Play. Tune in to Stick Together, worker stories and union news. Grassroots Voices broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network. Last August, 14-year-old Kalgoorlie boy Elijah Doughty was run over and killed by a 56-year-old man who claims that Elijah had stolen his motorcycle. The man was charged with manslaughter, but last week he was convicted of a lesser charge of dangerous driving causing death and sentenced to three years in prison. The sentence angered many in the Kalgoorlie community, and that anger has spread across the country as a lot of people were left to question whether justice was served in that uh, ruling. Justice for Elijah rallies have been held um, around Australia and here in Melbourne last Friday just gone, demonstrators gathered on Parliament House steps and walked to Federation Square where they held a peaceful sit-in outside Flinders Street Station. We're going to listen to some audio from that protest. Uh, speaking now is Indigenous actress Sharina Clanton. We are a long way from home. And we thank you for being in solidarity with our mob in Western Australia. From Wongatha Yamaji country in Kalgoorlie, thank you for being here. It means the world that Indigenous and non-Indigenous people are here standing together in unity and saying this is not okay. We do not accept this ruling. Our black children, our black deaths, our black children matter. He chose to put the law into his own hands. It went from manslaughter 
to driving recklessly, causing death. Can you imagine an Indigenous person doing that to a white child? Do you think they'd get away with reckless endangerment, reckless driving, causing death? They'd have the whole book thrown at him. There is no justice for our people. When do we get justice? When do we have these courts and judicial systems, the Parliament House, the government, saying that our people's lives are human lives and that they are equal to our white counterparts? When? There is no accountability. We hear more about his fear, him having to leave Kalgoorlie, what his oppression and hurt has been, than the oppression and hurt and death of our family members, of our community, of the pain and suffering by his family. What this death represents is that his death represents hundreds and thousands of our Aboriginal youth that go unnamed, that remain silent in our justice system, that get ignored by our mainstream media. Today the police are hyper-vigilant, hyper-militarised. I don't understand why. This is a peaceful protest. And what our presence here today says, this is not okay. We stand in solidarity with Elijah. We stand in solidarity with our Wangatha Yamaji family in Kalgoorlie. We stand in solidarity with our Indigenous brothers and sisters. And that is Indigenous actress Sharina Clanton asking some of the questions that a lot of us have about the sentence that was handed down um, for the um, death of Elijah Doughty last year. Uh, and so you've been listening to Monday Breakfast. Um, thank you all for listening today. We'll have a lot of our information for the various festivals we've mentioned today. It was a festival of festivals, and we mentioned a lot of people. Uh, we were speaking earlier to Mitu Baumik Longi, the director of the Indian Film Festival of Melbourne. Before that, we had Jessica Clark, who is the curator of TEL, an Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander exhibition from the Ballarat International Photo Biennale. And before that, we heard uh, an interview with Jan Bartlett um, speaking to Jack Smith, who's a long-time human rights watchdog. And before that, we spoke with Jonathan Holloway, who is the Artistic Director of Melbourne Festival, talking to us about some of the highlights from this year's program. You can uh, read more about all of these things online. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show today. And uh, next up, we've got Women on the Line. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.